I think I said something that absolutely just ripped somebody in half the other day, and I think that's where I'll start the live show. Because I didn't mean to. Like, here's a real story that I once read, and now you unfortunately have to hear it too. It's a story about a farm boy in America. This story takes place a long time ago, and so you don't have to worry about health insurance. I'm telling you that right now, because otherwise it would be even more gruesome. So what happened is the, the farm boy, approximately 16 years old in this story, has a property that he, uh, an estate, uh, that he is doing some chores on. He is the oldest sibling home. And they have a combine harvester on the property that he does, in fact, drive. The age for driving a tractor in the U.S. is often 12 or 13, depending on the state, county, yada. Uh, it's actually pretty common for, for some uh, younger kids, male, female, uh, to, to do some pretty uh, expansive stuff around a ranch starting at age 8, 9, uh, even, you know, like a riding mower or something like that is not out of the question, depending on how big the farm is, how far away you are from uh, civilization, yada. And so this is a uh, backwoods, and uh, he's got a lot of comfort with this machine, but for some reason, this is going to get very graphic. His sleeve catches in one of the threads, and it pulls his arm in. And as it's pulling his arm in, he tries to pull it out with his other arm, which catches. So both of his arms get ripped off by the harvester. He has to then, this is before cell phones, long before cell phones, he has to then run home where he uses his mouth to knock the phone off the receiver, nose to dial, and he says into the receiver his address and what's happened. He then has to wait for ambulance services to show up. And he thinks to himself, I'm bleeding everywhere. So he does what any 16-year-old would do in that situation. And he walks into the bathroom and he stands inside the tub because he doesn't want to get blood all over the nice house his house. He lives. Uh, he actually gets one working arm out of this, believe it or not. Uh, and he tells the tale. It's not, all, it's not at all uncommon, unfortunately, as Linda has pointed out. Why am I telling you this horrible, shocking story? to open things up with. Because I'm pretty sure I just did to somebody without the forewarning, just totally on accident, just talking to them online, not somebody I know well or anything. I'm pretty sure I just ripped the arms off somebody just the exact same way, emotionally and psychologically. Here's what I did on accident. Ready? Ready? They said, they said, ready? They said, I'm just so glad we're halfway through this year. And I said, oh, not until the end of June. That's it. And I'm pretty sure that I watched the, like, you can't see their face online or nothing, but I'm pretty sure that I actually watched the psychological spirit of someone 
just begin to dissolve, like from the inside out. If you haven't seen the Natalie Portman vehicle annihilate, you should. Because I think I watched a kind of annihilation begin to take place. I was just shocked. I was just like, oh, 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 I was not trying to hurt you, I swear. I swear. <laughs> we've, we've got four weeks left until we're at the midway point. I don't know what the coach is going to say to us at that backyard game, but uh, I don't think it's going to get us on the field playing our best for the second half. We'll see. Uh, there's a large international audience to this show, and there's a lot of questions, and I don't want to talk about it too much, but I, I definitely want to say to, to everybody who's reached out internationally and said well wishes to me personally and to Americans in general, uh, thank you. Very much appreciated being in your thoughts with all that's going on in the world. You guys, uh, you guys thinking about me, thinking about uh, where I'm at, my countrymen. Uh, it really means a lot. It really does. I, 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 I think I, I speak for uh, literally all but the stupidest and dumbest and most bigoted Americans when I say thank you very much with all that's going on in the world, you putting us in your thoughts and your concerns. That being said, we get to rag on us being a third world country. You motherfuckers don't. And if you fucking write in about, like, the problems that we're having, we still 100% get to call you on what we perceive to be your bullshit as ignorant Americans. And so if you're writing in and you're like, Hi Jack, I'm from India and I can't believe you're having problems with this racism. I'm legitimately just going to send you a picture of Modi frowning. I know enough of what's going on in India to know that nobody in India should be sending me that message of concern. Thank you very much. You have your own thing going on. And the other thing I want to say is, from the outside, I know it looks really scary and it looks really bad. I do. Here's the thing. You don't see a lot of the people of color or the activists on our television sets with a lot of raised eyebrows or a lot of surprise being expressed. If you are watching this as, as you are saying you are from the outside, I implore you to look at people who have been scholars on this, who have talked about this for a while, and notice their complete lack of surprise. There is a somberness to them. There's a somberness to people on the left. There's a somberness to sociologists and professors when we're talking about this. I mean, I'm not, I, apologies, I don't know why I include myself in that verbology. Yes, I do, because I want to be cool. Uh, but, but legitimately, if you look at people who have been speaking about this a while and how they're talking about this now, no surprise. There's no surprise to a lot of people. A lot of people are waking up but a lot of people are saying, yeah, this is pretty much how it is. And the reason why I'm, I'm putting kind of front-loading all that heaviness on there is if you're from the outside or you've just kind of lived a really nice sheltered life within America, maybe that's true too, and no fault to your own, this looks really scary. And it's a big moment, and big moments can be scary. They can, they can induce anxiety, you know that. But it looks scary because you had a perception of how things were here that never, ever, ever converted with reality. That's all there is to it.
if you ask the people who have studied any kind of social justice or injustice in our society, they are not so surprised at where we're at. And I know that this is heavy, but since people do keep writing me in and asking me to, to affirm about Black Lives Matter and, and to, to speak from the heart, and especially if you're outside of America, to try and give you some frame of reference, allow me to say a couple of things about this. One, I'm white, and so however much I can be sympathetic or empathetic towards what's going on, I can never understand it. Not 100%. I can try to understand it, but I can't get it. And so just for everybody asking me to affirm or asking me to make statements, well, okay, but I legitimately think as somebody who's advocated for progressive positions every time we've talked politics and wants reform, very much so, that if you're white like I am, that you very much want to listen. This is the time to listen. A lot of people want to call themselves an ally because calling yourself an ally is cool. But this is the time to listen. I know me making statements would be nice and assuring, or me giving my thoughts might help you find frame of reference. But I am listening. Because this is all about giving voice to people who have not been able to get it across. And they're speaking very loudly for themselves. They do not need me to translate for them. So that's one thing I really want to affirm. You can, you can ask. I've, I hope this makes clear what my feelings are. Black Lives Matter. Uh, yes, I absolutely. Uh, in another time, in another world, I would call myself an egalitarian. Unfortunately, that word's been kind of hijacked. Uh, but until uh, we treat black lives in America and around the world with more base respect and dignity, we can't say all lives matter. You can't say all lives matter unless you act in accordance with that. And absolutely, America is not treating people of color, especially blacks, in that way. So there's that affirmation. And then when it comes to interpretation, what do I think happens next? What do I want to see what happens? I'm listening. And the other thing I want to say is, watch, watching a lot of these speeches, you know, a lot of black people are listening too. It, there's no universal experience. So it's not as though there's a monolith out there and that has one voice. There's a conversation happening. And that's really what, if you want to be an ally instead of calling yourself one, foster that conversation. Wherever it goes, it's a good conversation. So now that that second point is fostered out, one, there it is, BLM statement. Two, what I think you should do if you're white right now in this moment. And then three, <clears throat> this is kind of hard to hear if you're outside of America. Because you hear America is powerful. And America is in your news all the time. Even if you're in America, especially if you're not in a major metro area, it can almost feel like you're not in America sometimes. You can look at your little two-story fucking brick buildings on your main street, and you can look at all the problems that you're having and then read stories about the aircraft carriers and the flyovers and the Iran deal. It can almost feel like you're not really talking about your country at all. So this is for a lot of people out there. Your perception of America, if you have not traveled through America, if you have not seen 
what people call the ghettos and the sketchier areas, and, and, and. If you've not seen the cracks in the American infrastructure, and I mean that literally and figuratively, then you can have a perception of this country that it is gleaming and powerful, that it is omnipresent. But the reality is, and why I encourage everybody to listen to black sociologists, professors, and activists who have been on this uh, particular series of, 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 of causes uh, the entire 21st century, is they will tell you that this, that this movement, for, for want of a better term, is a natural reaction to how things are and have been. America has not funded its municipal services, its city and county services, pretty much at all for the last decade. Police brutality and also the intentional targeting of, of black people has just been extremely well documented over the entire last decade. And when you look at all of the basic requests for reform, for change, for anything that would give systemic relief to anybody in this country, but of course particularly black populations or people of color, then, apologies, I've gotten a little bit on my soapbox, uh, you're naturally going to get an unrest-type reaction. How that unrest manifests is chaos and, 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 and going forward. But if you're scared, I understand you. If you're anxious, I understand you. But from the bottom of my heart, I see a fairly natural series of consequences playing out. I don't know where it goes, and I hope it goes better places. But I hope you can hear the lack of fear. Because all that I have seen take place in this country over the last two weeks is people naturally reacting to systemic oppression. Oppressions, really, plural. But, and it's a natural bubbling over of that. That scares you. If you have an idea of America as the gleaming carrier group, skyscraper, all the money in the world, all the media comes from us, we're so amazing, right? That's scary. But if you've gone down main streets and you've seen that literally every 20th building is some kind of loan operation, title, or payday, or, 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 when you hear literally every 10th commercial is to refinance something, when you see literally year after year, stat after stat, saying an increasing number of people cannot pay for their rent and that their rent now costs 50% of what they earn, 55, 60, 65%. America has been buckling for the people that are in the street, most of the people in the street, for a while. And it has absolutely had some of these systemic issues since its inception, literally since the beginning. 
were going to make it to the other side. And so were you. It's a scary year, and it's a scary time. But from the bottom of my heart, thank you for all of the well wishes. Thank you for all the support. I speak for my fellow Americans for once when I say we very much appreciate it. We're also crossing our fingers. We're also looking at bated breath. But this is, this, is the, this is the world we're in, and we can't ignore it. And I'm going to close with one thing that I heard from one of these particular movements from one of the speakers. This is literally the last thing they said before they closed out. And they invited us all back to come the next day at a specific time and place. And then right after they did that, the speaker said, but what I need you to do is take care of you. Okay? What I need you to do is take care of yourself. Because this isn't going to change tomorrow. You're coming back tomorrow, if you can. But this isn't changing tomorrow. This isn't changing the day after. So you need to sleep. So you need to eat. So you need to take care of the things that you need to take care of. You need to take care of yourself. You need to take care of your friends. You need to take care of your family. You need to take care of the people that are around you. You see people sweeping up the streets in the morning. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. Maybe you think that's a good idea, and maybe you don't. But if that nourishes you, you need to do it. Before you come here, instead of coming here, before you bring a friend here. I'm telling you to bring a friend here, but you need to be full when you invite them. Because what else are you bringing them to? They're your friend. So take care of yourself. And that really fucking resonated with me. Here's a speaker. He's going to be the speaker tomorrow. He has them in his thrall. And that's how he's closing out. And I believe the sincerity and authenticity of the speaker. I really did. And I wanted to give that message to you at the end of this. I know it's scary. I know it's a lot. Take care of yourself. I, if, that's the, if that's the statement that you're looking for from me with all that's going on right now, with the time that I took off, there it is. Just take a look. Just take, my goodness, just take a little bit of time for yourself. Take care of yourself. You deserve it. You need it. Whatever happens isn't happening right now. I mean, it is happening right now, but it's not happening right now. All right, last but not least, because when I take time off, you guys are always curious <clears throat> what I do. And uh, the answer is I didn't do anything. I didn't go anywhere this time. Uh, I'm trying to be like a very, very, very good boy and play by the COVID rules. And with all of that done and uh, and in, uh, I've gotten just so fucking bored. And I was going outside for a while and standing around, but that is just not going to do it anymore. And I I stopped ordering food almost entirely, like food in, like you know, yummy food, food that you want to eat. <sighs> and so I've just started walking, man. I'm the Forrest Gump of walking. I'm walking all the time now. I wait till it gets cool. I'm walking. My ass is fantastic. 
it's just absolutely forming up. I know that ass talk is just really, really very popular around here. Cake talk uh, is just always appreciated. Uh, I'm 100% I'm, uh, uh, feeling very strong. I've got a little bit of a thing going on right now. With I'm so sorry that I came back with it. I've got a little bit of a, of a thing right now uh, in my sinus. But I am feeling so good and so clear and, and feeling really, really strong. And I think I'm going to uh, rock season four. Uh, going to try and take some of the aggression and some of the feelings that are out there, the concerns and, and all that, and try and turn it into a healthy mix of, of domination and BDSM and all the rest that can really satisfy and, and, and uh, hopefully make people feel a little bit more assuaged going on. My personal goal for the rest of 2020 is a big one, and I'm probably not going to manage it, but it is my personal goal, and I'm going to try it as hard as I can. And uh, you're supposed to, uh, according to current experts, you're supposed to say shit like that out loud. So normally I keep goals to myself, but here it is. I'm really going to try as hard as I fucking can <laughs> for the rest of 2020 to not remotely even get anywhere near the point where anybody thinks I yelled at anyone else. I'm really going to try. I spent the last two weeks with my therapist, like not like with my therapist. We're not like dating. I just said we didn't go anywhere. Don't ask too many questions. I spent the last two weeks with my therapist just straight up saying like, can I, can I just nail this one goal? If I legitimately think it's the worst thing in my life with everything going on, that's already a win. Can I just, can I just do it? And the therapist said, I don't know. Can you? And I said, I'm very upset now. If I don't want to yell at you, can I go to the bathroom? He goes, I don't know. Can you? <sighs> no, that didn't really happen. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he did say, I don't know, can you? But he said, in therapist. They spend a lot of time and money learning how to say, I don't know, can you? But in therapist. Do you think that that's a goal that you can reach? <laughs> I don't know, can you? Same thing. Same thing. I don't know, can you? Do you think that's a goal that you can reach? <laughs> I have to pay for one, though. <sighs> so I'm going to really try. Because I don't like it. I got grumpy at someone for no reason. I mean, I got grumpy at someone for a good reason. But staying, allowing the grump to manifest, is no. there's no goodness to it. And so literally just the last two weeks have just been like, okay, what do I do? <laughs> no. No, we're not talking about anything else. I know you want to talk to me about this other shit, therapist. I'm fucking fascinating at the best of times. This is the worst, so I am a goddamn god. I get that. But let's literally, just mechanically, let's go over this. <laughs> and just literally every step of the way. And so this is letting you into my mind a little bit more than I want you to. But I'm going to do it.
So I've talked about it before. When I go PTSD, I go full insane. And I was actually really scared when I confessed this that you guys would abandon me. And I would totally get it because uh, it's, a, it's a scary thing. And I've talked about it briefly. You can go back to other episodes. I'm not going to fucking highlight them for you because I'm not super proud of this part of me. But I legitimately, it, it's, it's as instantaneous as that. It really does just come on when it hits, when I hit a full trigger. I get a full episode. And I really stop seeing people. It's the only way I can describe it. I stop seeing people. Y- you just, you all become teeth to me. You become teeth and fingernails and nothing else. And it's really scary. <laughs> and see the laugh? How fucking nervous I am talking about it. Ugh, I gotta get over this. So, when I go in a full episode, in my mind, anything I say or do is justified. I'm up against fucking monsters. And then I come back and I am the monster. And then I go into a shame spiral. So, recently I've beaten the shame spiral, which would normally be, like, the part of the special, or, like, you know, where I'd come out and be like, I beat my shame spiral! And it would be this huge thing. If I understand anything about, like, stand-up comedy or performance right now, like, that's the part where, like, I cheer and then I beg for donations and jobs and shit and everybody loves me because it's a victory. Uh, But in reality, what happened is I beat my shame spiral... And that just meant that yelling at people became easier. Did I yell at people more often? No, I sure didn't. But that's all that happened. You beat your shame spiral, but then you don't beat the behavior that goes and causes it. Then you just beat your shame spiral. The behavior's still there. So that didn't feel great. It felt good for like two seconds. And then it just felt bad. So taking all that into the therapist going, this is still my thing. This is still the thing I do that I hate. Alcoholics drink and uh, <laughs> and uh, shopaholics shop. And no matter what I've done, docs, uh, I can't seem to hold my fucking tongue when I get mad enough. And I can't seem to control what makes me mad. And so we have now uh, jumped into a part of therapy. God, this is a fun light show, right? Welcome back, Jack. Uh, we've we've jumped into the portion of therapy. We're now we're not trying to control any of that shit anymore. And now my mantra is: if I'm mad, I'm insane. And that's been real rough to embrace because I don't, I don't like being called crazy or abnormal, or strange. I kind of got called all that a lot as a child, and I'm very sensitive about it, because everyone called me that. My peers, and my parents, and my friends, and my teachers, and it hurt. Uh, I must have heard the question, what's wrong with you, a thousand times before I turned 18 without exaggeration. And, you know, I've, I've gotten my answers on that, more or less, uh, and unpacked it, but I'm still very sensitive. And it still aches. And so I have to 
summon a lot. But what I've been trying to do lately, the last couple of months, what seems to have been helping is just embracing this mindset of I'm insane. I'm totally nuts. I'm mad. And that means I'm a crazy person. You're making me angry. So right now, I'm insane. And when I'm no longer mad, then I'll be sane again. So while I'm mad, as a crazy person, I gotta play by crazy person rules. And it's rough. And it's rough. Because sometimes it's okay to be mad. Anger is a natural reaction. Look what's fucking going on in America right now. France, I'm a little mad at you. You don't get to just riot. <laughs> like, if you have your own things, I don't know enough about you. Maybe you really need to do it right now. But I don't really feel like you need to do this right. Like, the London thing feels a little bit different. And I'm, I kind of feel like you're almost mocking us. Like, you're almost like, like, they're even saying it in, like, American accents and shit. They're actually going like, no justice, no peace. Like, come on. Use at least French words and shit. What the fuck? You're really rioting? Ugh, maybe they need to. I don't know. I don't have enough specifics, but... <laughs> does feel like they're just kind of jumping in. <sighs> when I'm mad, when I'm angry, I don't know if I'm in a PTSD episode or if I'm righteously angry. Or if there is such a thing as really righteous anger. When I'm mad at somebody, I don't know. Here's the thing, though. When I'm mad at somebody, you know those things you might say that you don't mean? I fucking mean them. And when I'm in a PTSD episode, I fucking don't. But I was actually just thinking about somebody who I thought was a good friend to me. And who wasn't. Just wasn't. And how the last thing I said to them was pretty mean. Because they weren't a good friend to me at all. But that's how they rep themselves. And then they were just very nonchalant. And so I said something really mean. And I thought, there's another version of me out there that doesn't, that has conflicted feelings about it or feels bad. But I'm not. I'm not him. My life experience shaped me into someone else. And so as somebody who can do that bit of psychopathy in these incredibly deranged times of 2020, I very much just don't want to. I don't want to hurt anyone for any reason, and I've had that philosophy for a long time, and I've really tried to abide by it. <sighs> And so, for the rest of 2020, I'm trying as hard as I can. Every single time I start to lose my stuff, to just say that I'm crazy, which I don't like hearing, but I think it's a lot better than anybody else hearing something that they don't want to hear from me. And so from the bottom of my heart, because I just used an example of somebody that I said something I said somebody wasn't a good friend or a good person to them, and I know that really hurts, and I have no remorse whatsoever.
And as somebody who just told that story fairly plainly, I am really sorry if I've hurt you with my behavior and my words. That's all. On an individual level, I don't, I, we're not going to shake hands and be friends, I don't think. You don't ever have to give me another chance. I'm not asking for it. You don't have to think I'm reformed, because I don't know if I'll ever think that about myself, frankly. Uh, but from the bottom of my heart, with everything going on in 2020, with all the, the pain and misery that I've seen, uh, no matter who or where somebody's at, I am sorry if I've hurt you with my behavior or my words. There should definitely be less pain in the world. And I'm just doing my best to keep my powder dry. Okay, that was a very long, very serious opening. I mean, it started with a started with chainsaw arm or not chainsaw. It started with arms being ripped off a teenager. Uh, so that kind of set the mood, but I hope you're all ready for a show. I hope you're all ready for a good time. Uh, I appreciate everybody who missed me and everybody who wrote in. We got a lot of requests. I think we're going to get through every last one of them except for the porn, because there's just a little too much porn, which is the right amount of porn. Uh, thank you all very much. <laughs> I'm looking forward to the notations on this show. Uh, let's just go ahead and check and see where we're at. Uh, notations on this show. Allie's notations. Show starts. 34 minutes. Show starts again. Parentheses. This time, not depressing as fuck. In parentheses. Just trying to be the normal, like, sarcastic, like, asshole that I am. I just kind of, I gotta, I gotta poke, you know, I gotta poke flaws where I see them. And I have to say, everybody who, I know this is by Pride Month, or Gay Pride Month, or LGBTQ plus Pride Month. I don't know what we've actually settled on as the, as the lexicon anymore. It kind of def- seems which which website you go to labels it different uh i have to say with everything going on in america the fact that the corporate america is just all like switching those logos over to that right now just like hey hey look what we're still hip about huh huh look what's topical huh look what's happening huh 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 like if ever there was like there are I just can't tell you how strange I think it is that, like, Call of Duty is all like, Black Lives Matter! Have pride! This is a strange fucking moment, man! What the fuck? <laughs> Where are we right now? I just, I just, looking at the moment that we have, it's just like, it's not spring cleaning. Mar- Maeve, I am, I am... A heterosexual man, but just because the first of June doth arrive does not mean you have to put colorful shades upon your social media account, lest your firstborn be taken by the plague. You understand, right? Because there's times to show 
it just, I'm saying it undercuts your we stand with you if you're just standing with whatever the fuck's going on right as it's happening. Right? Like, we stand with you because it's June, and also there's protests, so Black Lives Matter. We believe both right now. Catch us next week. <laughs> we'll see which one of those two we believe then. Zero? Two? More? We'll find out. It's just very, very strange to me. <laughs> Being a social media manager right now has got to feel a little bit at least like being Baghdad Bob. Don't you think? Don't you think? Don't you, do you guys know who Baghdad Ali, Chemical Ali was? It's probably an older reference that's not going to check out with a lot of you. So when we invaded Iraq as a country, as the U.S., because that's pretty much all we can do. Ali, get ready to start the show a third time in the notes. When we invaded Iraq, we... <laughs> when we invaded Iraq, it wasn't hard because they didn't have anything, and we spend all of our money on that shit, as people are just now figuring out, I guess. And so it wasn't hard. And so at one point, they had this minister... Of uh, of defense or, or or propaganda or whatever, and he's literally on the street of Baghdad talking about how it's. He doesn't say fake news, but he says it's false reports. But I mean, he is saying it's fake news because it's fake news that America's in the country and that America's you know beating our troops. And then literally, as he's giving that live report on Baghdadi TV, an American tank, like way in the distance, rolls behind him. Like, way, way, way in the background, an American tank just rolls through Baghdad as he's talking about how there's no American troops in the country, really, and they've been defeated. And, like, it was just this moment of just absolute, like, well, <laughs> what the fuck are you going to do about that shit? And that's exactly how I feel about all of these corporations switching over to the LBGTQ+. Uh, signage and logage with everything that's going. It's like, come on, you can't, you can't mean it if you, if you're talking about the event that's happening. You gotta, <laughs> you're a corporation. People are gonna, but I know what happened because it happened to me because I got a bunch of DMs going like, "Where's your statement on this?" I'm like, "Do I need a, do I need a fucking statement on this?" <laughs> I, I mean. Do I really, do you really want a statement from me? Because I don't know if you know this, but I blast rope into a microphone. I don't, I don't know if any of the girls out there know this. Who asked me to make a statement on the political, socionomical state of America. But my business model is, I hope that by masturbating into a microphone enough that I can pay bills <laughs> is who you're asking <laughs> for your commentary. <laughs> I'll give it, but <laughs> here we go. <clears throat> Hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words, and never stops at all. And sweetest in the gale is heard, and sore must be the storm, that could abash the little bird that kept so many warm. I've heard it in the chillest land, and on the strangest sea, 
and yet never extremity. It asked a crumb of me. Hope is the thing with feathers. Emily Dickinson Allie put everything together so nice, too, and then I must have jostled them. <clears throat> we, this people, on a small and lonely planet, traveling through casual space, past aloof stars, across the way of indifferent suns, to a destination where all signs tell us it is possible and imperative that we learn a brave and startling topic. And when we come to it, the day of the peacemaking, when we release our fingers from the fists of hostility and allow the pure air to cool our palms, when we come to it, when the curtain falls on the minstrel show of hate and faces suited with scorn and scrubbed clean, when battlefields and coliseum no longer rake our unique and particular sons and daughters, with bruised and bloody grass, to lie in identical plots in foreign soil. When the rapacious storming of the churches, the screaming racket in the temples have ceased, when the pennants are waving gaily, when the banners of the world tremble stoutly in the good, clean breeze, when we come to it. When we let the rifles fall from our shoulders and our children dress their dolls in flags of truce, when landmines of death have been removed and the aged can walk into the evenings of peace, when religious ritual is not perfumed by the incense of burning flesh, and childhood dreams are not kicked awake by nightmares of abuse, when we come to it. Then we will confess that not the pyramids, with their stones set in mysterious perfection, nor the gardens of Babylon hanging in eternal beauty, in our collective memory, not in the Grand Canyon, kindled in delicious color by western sunsets nor the Danube flowing its blue soul into Europe, not the sacred peak of Mount Fuji stretching to the rising sun, neither Father Amazon nor Mother Mississippi, who, without favor, nurture all creatures in the depths and on the shores. These are not the wonders of the world. When we come to it, we, this people, on this minuscule and kithless globe, who reach daily for the bomb, the blade of the dagger, yet who for petition in the dock for tokens of peace, we, this people, on this moat of matter, in whose mouths abide cantankerous words which challenge our very existence, yet out of those same mouths come songs of exquisite sweetness that the heart falters in its labor, and the body is quieted into awe. We, this people, on this small and drifting planet, whose hands can strike with such a banded that in a twinkling life is sapped from the living, yet those same hands can touch with such healing irresistible tenderness, that the haughty neck is happy to bow, and the proud back is glad to bend. 
Out of such chaos, of such contradiction, we learn that we are neither devils nor divines. When we come to it, we, this people, on this wayward floating body, we created this earth, of this earth, have the power to fashion for this earth, a climate where every man and every woman can live freely without sanctimonious piety, without crippling fear. When we come to it, we must confess that we are the possible. We are the miraculous. The true wonder of this world, that is when, and only when we come to it. A Brave and Startling Truth by Maya Angelou <clears throat> Everyone who terrifies you is 65% water, and everyone you love is made of stardust. And I know, sometimes, you cannot breathe deeply, and the night sky is no home, and that you are down to your last 2%. But nothing is infinite, not even loss. You are made of the sea and the stars, and one day you are going to find yourself again. Saltwater, Finn Butler. <clears throat> there were never strawberries like the ones we had that sultry afternoon, sitting on the step of the open French window, facing each other. Your knees held in mine, the blue plates in our laps, the strawberries glistening in the hot sunlight. We dipped them in sugar, looking at each other, not hurrying our feast for the one to come. The empty plates laid on the stone together with the two forks crossed. I bent towards you, sweet in the air, in my arms, abandoned like a child for your eager mouth. The taste of strawberries in my memory, I lean back again. Let me love you. Let the sun beat on our forgetfulness. One hour of all the heat, intense in summer lightning on summer hills. Let the storm wash the plains. Strawberries, Edwin Morgan. O oh, love, that stronger art than wine, pleasing delusion, witchery divine, won't be prized above all wealth, disease that has more joys than health. Though the blaspheme thee in our pain, and thy tyrant complain, we are all bettered by thy reign. 
What reason never can bestow what to this useful passion owe? Love wakes the dole from sluggish ease, and learns a clown the art to please, humbles the vain, kindles the cold, makes misers free, and cowards bold. Tis he reforms the sot from drink, and teaches airy fops to think. When full brute appetite is fed, And choked the glutton lies the dead, Thou new spirits dost dispense, And finest the gross delights of sense. Virtue's unconquerable aid, That against nature can persuade, And makes a roving mind retire Within the bounds of just desire. Cheerer of age, Youth's kind unrest, and half the heaven of the blessed. Song by Aphra Bin, A-P-H-R-A-B-E-H-N. We have got one last poem. <clears throat> If I must worry about how I will live in my old age without wealth, I would be without health now, and how can I live to be old? If I must worry about how I will live in my old age without love, I would be without dreams now, and how could I go on living another day? Allow me to sit in the sun and listen to the sky. I will love you gently. Allow me to stay in my room and weave my rainbows. I well love you truly. Like a colt in the meadow with no boundary, allow me to wander around till I hear the autumn stealthily strolling by my door. I will be waiting to be there with you. Then. Untitled. Oh, apologies. I apologize. Allow Me by, I'm going to go with Chungmi Kim. C-H-U-N-G-M-I-K-I-M. Chungmi Kim. Allow Me. That was very sweet. All right. We have... A lot of love letters tonight. Like a lot of love letters tonight. And I don't want to skip over them because if ever there was a time to be hearing some love letters, this is a pretty good time in the world, I think, for a lot of you very lovely ladies to hear some love letters. So quick quotes. If you guys want to do them, we'll do them after. We've got a lot of love letters here, so you'll have lots of time to think it up. I'll say right before the last one. Yeah. Then we can do quick quotes between the two. But... Let's get into this, because these are five very interesting-looking love letters, I think. So, <clears throat> here is number one. In the field of quantum mechanics, there is something called quantum entanglement. It is what happens when two particles interact, vibrate in unison, and are separated. They remain connected by something that defies logic, something science has yet to explain. 
If one particle vibrates, no matter the distance, the other particle reacts in unison. Even if there are oceans between them, even if there is a universe separating them. Before time, we were just a dense collection of particles confined to a small space smaller than a proton, interacting and moving in unison. An event occurred that rapidly expanded the particles and created the universe. There is no reason to believe that the particles ever lost their entanglement. Now, when I say I am drawn to you, that I feel that I have known you since the beginning of time, know that it's beyond my control. Know there are particles that compose me, my very fabric of being, and inside of you are the particles mine danced with millions of years ago. I've spent an eternity chasing that part of you down. Quantum Entanglement Tyler Kent White Goodness, all this applause, I don't know where it's coming from. Thank you so much for all the applause. I'm just so confused. I, 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 had, I had to pause to look. Like, what happened? Sometimes, this is true. I mean, it hasn't happened in a while, but sometimes in, a, in the real life, when like an attractive woman would be like looking at me in a club, I would actually look behind me. No irony. I would actually like look right over my shoulder. Nothing, huh? All right, tough crowd. <clears throat> I would have liked to dine with you today after finishing your essay. That my eyes and lips, I do not exactly mean my voice, might have told you that they have raised you in my esteem. What a cold world. I would say love if you will promise not to dispute about its propriety when I want to express an increasing affection founded on a more intimate acquaintance with your heart and understanding. I shall cork up all my kindness, yet the fine volatile essence may fly off in my walk. You know not how much tenderness for you may escape in a voluptuous sigh should the air as often the case, give a pleasurable movement to the sensations that have been clustering round my heart. As I read this morning, reminding myself every now and then, the writer loved me. Voluptuous is often expressive of a meaning I do not intend to give. I would describe one of these moments when the senses are exactly tuned by the ringing tenderness of the heart and according reasons entices you to live in the present moment, regardless of the past or future. It is not rapture. It is sublime tranquility. I have felt it in your arms. Hush! Let not the light see. I was going to say and hear it. These confessions should only be uttered, you know where, when the curtains are up and all the world shut out. Oh, me. I wish I may find you at home, and I may carry this letter to drop it off in the box, that I may drop a kiss off with it into your heart, to be embalmed, until we meet closer. 
Mary Wollstonecraft to William Godwin. If you girls had to ask, uh, had to had to guess, what year do you think that letter was written in? Can I get some guesses from the crowd that's out here? If anybody has a strong feeling. feeling. Early 1900s, early 1900s, 1850s, 1860s, 1850s. These probably would have been my guesses as well. 1880s. 1796. Seems positively modern in 2020 too so that's why I asked because it struck me as fairly modern too more modern than it uh, I mean there's some hints in there that it's oldie timey for sure with the language and what have you but besides the oldie timey uh, language and that one curtain reference pretty modern pretty uh pretty everyday <clears throat> Here we go. I feel like this is going to be a creepy one from the first three words, but we'll see how it turns out. Dearest Angel Girl, I suppose most of us are lonely in this big world, but most of us fall tremendously in love to find it out. The cure in this discovery for our need for company and I mean company in the very special sense we've come to understand since we've happened to each other. You and I. The pleasure of humans' experience are emptied away without that companionship. Now that I've known it, without it, joy is just an unendurable sorrow. You are my life. My very life. Never imagine your hope approximates what you are to me, beautiful, precious little baby. Hurry up the sun, make the day shorter till we meet. I love you, that's all there is to it. Your boy, Orson. Love letter from Orson Welles to Rita Hayworth. Okay, I'm starting to think I think Orson Welles was a creepy. I think that's the second Orson Welles we've gotten, and I also think the other time I also said something about a creep. I'm so sorry the person who suggested it is absolutely not a personal opinion. I'm just saying, as a guy who writes baby girls, as a, as a, as a man in power who writes women who don't have a lot of power, and that's a dynamic that is often established between us, I still think he's going a little over the line. <laughs> <laughs> As somebody who likes to be called daddy, that man's a creep. I don't know what it is. There's something about the way he writes, and then there's one other powerful American that we sometimes get love letter from that I also, my dar goes up. I've done a couple from him, and every time I feel like I've commented on it as well. There's one of them where I just go, mm. <laughs> I don't know if this powerful magnate of American cultures respecting these women. <laughs> Did anybody ever see Boardwalk Empire? Anybody ever? One of the major plot points of that show is that a very powerful man 
who kind of runs a town just has a, a young woman. I, I don't want to say, like, ages, but she's underaged. Like, it takes place, in, like, this story takes place in the year 1900 in America. Uh, but, like, this powerful guy, because he likes this girl who's dancing, she's, like, 14, 15, 16 or something like that. And he has her dropped off. He's, like, a 40- or 50-year-old man at this point, and he's very powerful and he's very rich. And then they, quote-unquote, form a relationship. And we see the consequence of that 20 years later, 25 years on. And, like, to this day, Boardwalk Empire is still the only show I can think of that has, like, an Orson Welles-like figure, like a really powerful figure, has, like, a really, like, Rockefeller or, like, a powerful figure who has sex with a woman who's much younger. And everything about that relationship is because of the consequence, the negative consequence. Boardwalk Empire is still, to this day, the only thing I can think of. It just totally sprang to mind. There's a, there's a plot point, a major plot point throughout that show that is this guy wanted to be with this girl because she was so young and hot and he was powerful, so he set it up. And it just literally caused nothing but misery for everybody. It doesn't show any of the fun or any of the, like, that's what movies show, right? They always show, like, the guy, and he's at the table, and he's ordering the girl over. But the way Boardwalk Empire does it is it only shows the after effects, and it only shows the misery. And it's only, like, almost like a like a Neil uh, Coward play uh, where they're all dissecting it. Anyway, that just sprang to mind, because sometimes when these guys are, like, writing, like, Orson Welles is a producer, and he's very powerful, and he's very rich, and Rita Hayward's an actor, right? So, like, when he's writing stuff like that, maybe they had a great relationship. But then I'll be like, but maybe they fucking didn't. You know? Anyways, you can't be abusive to people that you control. Right, Ali? So. No, Boardwalk Empire is only okay. And also, if you do watch Boardwalk Empire, it's an, it's an unwritten rule with the show that at the end of season two if you want to stop just stop it's okay no one's gonna get mad at you you watch boardwalk empire you get to the end of season two and you're like oh oh i don't want to keep going then <laughs> that's good follow the instinct don't keep going you walk off walk off the boardwalk <laughs> uh, you got the idea there's a steve buscemi and there's the guns and there's the booze yeah you picked it up Okay. <clears throat> Here we go. Here we go. Talking about famous figures who I can sometimes think are a little bit creepy. I love everybody who suggests something. Please suggest something to me. Thank you. I have loved in her the image of the beauty of the world. The mystery and the beauty of life itself. The beauty and doom, the images of spiritual purity and pity, her soul, her name, her eyes. They seem to me like strange, beautiful, blue wildflowers growing in some tangled, rain-drenched hedge. And I have felt her soul tremble besides mine, and have spoken her name softly to the night, and have wept to see the beauty of the world passing like a dream behind her eyes. You dear, strange girl, you write to ask as if I am tired of you. I shall never be tired of you, dearest. 
After this, I hope we shall have many, many, many long years of happiness together. And dear, true, good little Nora, do not write again doubtfully of me. You are my only love. You have completely, you have me completely in your power. I know and feel that if I am to write anything fine or noble in the future, I shall only do so by listening at the doors of your heart. The old fever of our love has begun to wake again in me, and I'm a shell of a man. You alone know me and love me. Think that your lips have kissed mine and your hair has fallen over me and that your arms have held me to you. I love you deeply and truly, Nora. I feel worthy of you now. There is not a particular of my a particle of my love that is not yours. I think of you always at your best, Nora. I love you. I cannot live without you. I would love to give you everything that is mine, any knowledge I have, any emotions. I myself feel or have felt any likes or dislikes I have, any hopes I have or remorse, I would love to go through life side by side with you, telling you more and more until we grew to be one, until we grew to be one being together, until the hour should come for us to die. Even now, the tears rush into my eyes and sobs choke my throat as I write this. Nora, we have only one short life in which to love. Let me love you in my own way. Let me have your heart always close to mine to hear every throb of life, every sorrow, every joy. Love Letter from James Joyce to Nora Barnacle. And isn't that the sweetest? And if you want to keep it sweet, don't read up any of the later letters that he sent to Nora. <laughs> it's all I could think about the whole way reading through that is, boy, did his opinion of her seem to change somewhere along the course of their relationship. Ah, <laughs> oh, for the uninitiated, the question marks must be so interesting. God, I, God, I really need to fucking get over my shit and do the live stuff. By the way, I'm hot now. Like, you're like, oh, you were always hot. But no, but now I look hot. Now I'm like, you'd look over and be like, oh, he's kind of hot. And then you'd hear my voice or you'd hear me talk and you realize I'm this smart and this cool. And you'd be like, oh, shit. Oh, no. What's happening to my body? Ah! Get those quick quotes ready. Get those quick quotes ready. I'm going to turn you on to werewolves. That's what I imagine when your pussy's on fire and you're talking about how you're so turned on you can't help it. I imagine it's like you're turning into a werewolf, but you don't get all the way there. Like your hands go out into like the claws, like the palms and all that, and like your neck bulges and you're like, ah! but you just don't quite make the transformation. <laughs> get those quick quotes in, girls. All right. <clears throat> I have received your letter, my adorable friend. 
It has filled my heart with joy. I am grateful to you for the trouble you have taken to send me the news. I hope that you are better today. I am sure that you have recovered. I earnestly desire that you should ride on horseback. It cannot fail to benefit you. Since I left you, I have been constantly depressed. My happiness is to be near you. Incessantly, I live over in my memory of your caresses, your tears, your affectionate solitude. The charms of the incomparable Josephine kindle continually a burning and glowing flame in my heart. When, free from all solitude and harassing care, shall I be able to pass all my time with you, having only to love you, and to think only of the happiness of so saying, and of proving it to you. I will send you to your horse, but I hope that you will soon join me. I thought that I loved you months ago, but since my separation from you, I feel that I love you a thousandfold more. Each day since I knew you, I had adored you yet more and more. This proved the maximum of Bière. The love comes all of a sudden to be false. Everything in nature has its own course and different degrees of growth. Oh, I entreat you to permit me to see some of your faults. Be less beautiful, less gracious, less affectionate, less good. Especially not over-anxious, and never weep. Your tears rob me of reason, inflame my blood. Believe me, it is not in my power to have a single thought which is not of thee, or a wish that I could not reveal to thee. Seek response. Quickly re-establish your health. Come join me at the least before death. We may be able to say we were many days. A thousand kisses, and even one to Fortuna, notwithstanding his spitefulness. Napoleon Bonaparte to Josephine. I'm wondering if we have any Napoleon scholars who know if Fortuna is a pet. Got some quick quotes coming in, as they do. Uh, Allie, let's feel free to go ahead and open up the tip jar if you did enjoy it, if you do have the money, if you're listening live, or if you do want to follow that link down below if you're listening on the recording. It would mean a lot. I know there's a lot going on in the world. Just got to ask and got to throw up that tip jar. does keep the project rolling on along. If you do have an extra couple of bucks, do appreciate it. You know that we do. Okay. <clears throat> Good girl. Sierra. Did you miss me, babies? Mm, you've been such a good girl for me, Faith. I missed you, baby girl. Clear your mind. Deep breath. You're doing well. Back it up, baby girl. I want my hands on that ass. Taste your cunt. 
on Daddy's fingers. I am so proud of how much improvement you're making with Therapy Heart. Just know that I'm here with you till the end of the line. Keep going. The small steps you've taken are just progress, baby girl. Come here, little one. Daddy needs to use his princess. You've been working so hard, baby girl. Come relax on Daddy's lap. You're doing so well. Keep going, darling. And they think you're such a good girl. <laughs> now take those fucking panties off. Spread your legs for me, angel. You're such a good girl for daddy. Arch that back and purr for me, baby girl. You had a bad day. Come here. Hugs and forehead kisses for you, darling. Hugs and forehead kisses for all the girls who had a bad day, who had a tough week, who are going through it all, of course. Ah, <laughs> oh. But I'm proud of you. I really am. Uh, I said it, and I overstated it, possibly or almost assuredly, then I don't know who you are or what your journey is or what your difficulty is right now. But I do hope the best for you. I do think the world needs less aggression and less upset feelings and just any little bit of solace that it can find. And so I hope you find it. I, I had a real debate, not about coming back for season four, uh, definitely starting to get a little antsy and need some stuff to do uh, in a schedule. And, of course, I love the praise and the attention and all the rest. But I, I was kind of thinking about, like, maybe I should keep the live shows off. Because a lot of people are suspending a lot of events because of what's going on. And the thing that really confirmed to me that I not only need to come back here with a better attitude and, and, and just keep that constantly on the top of my mind, but when I come back, I gotta really try and not just speak from the heart, but entertain. I really have to have that in mind. I don't, sorry to say, besides little bits that I've come written, uh, prepared to, to try and actually make you laugh, I'm not really trying to make you laugh. I, I, th I think the best creativity comes from expression. Just pure expression. It's what I like as a consumer of creativity. And it's what I like to make. So perhaps I'm biased. But that's where I see art. In expression. And the thing that really brought me back and said that I need to be here, I need to be making this, were the Anon messages saying that for at least some of you, I'm helping you through this time. And that absolutely clenched it for me. Anybody who, who thinks that I'm being, you know, 
myopic or, or, or needy can tune away. And of course, anybody who, who thinks that I'm providing something that might help somebody, which is right now just really nice to hear with everything going on, can tune in. Uh, I did want to say that, since I do tend to close out the show pretty quick and then peace out uh, after I close out the porn. So uh, last sincere bit for a very heavy, very emotional show um, is is I really appreciate everybody who, who sent in a message saying that I helped give them a little in this time. And I want to assure you, I promise you, if you, if, if you don't have a dollar, that's very common. Uh, I don't resent you. Uh, any, any, any nice word you've sent in, anything on social media, any bit of bolstering or support that you have shown me or the project, deeply appreciative. Deeply appreciative. Uh, and I'm, this could sound really sarcastic and cynical, especially since, uh, you know, I've I've complained about fan interactions before. I get that pressing a like button right now can be exhausting. <laughs> I mean that. Because there was an article I knew I had to read and wanted to read, and it would be good for me to read, and I love reading, and I was still like, I don't know if I can do that today. So I get how little everyday things right now can be compounded. So whatever... You guys have just shown me so much love as a fan base, and I've heard it, and I'm really... What the world needs now is love, 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 right? That stupid song? So that's what I'm trying to give. That'll be the last fucking time I cry unless there's a really surprising a bit of emotion in some of this porn. Okay. That's the last of my hair you're getting. From a movie that nobody saw, and absolutely every woman should. It's called, every young woman should. It's called Drag Me to Hell. It's a horror movie in which a young bank teller woman is fighting a demonic essence, and it's fucking dope, and for whatever reason, it never caught on. Oh my god. You will identify with her so much. (laughs) Uh, She was like ten years ahead of her time, man. I was stepping over the caution tape again. The day before, I had sighted for trespassing here on a public trail I'd been hiking for years. An officer wearing gloves and a mask had issued me a ticket sternly reminding me to stay at home. It seemed ironic. The way I saw it, no one else dared to cross the police tape in the trailhead, so I wasn't doing anyone any danger. I was further from any other human contact on this abandoned trail than I would be on my own apartment. It was a dusty highway path that snaked through a beautiful golf course that wound down through the meadows and streams to the green-blue Pacific Ocean. Since its safer-from-home procedures had gone into effect, I've been coming here daily at lunch to get some exercise before returning to my apartment for the second half of the workday. I'd been, it'd be, uh, apologies. it'd have been easy to stay at home if I was older, out of shape or something. But I'm in my late 20s, and athletic. 
and I was used to surfing, jogging, and swimming almost daily. And with everything closing, including the fucking ocean, this hike was making my reprieve from my desk in my one-bedroom apartment. Also, if I'm being honest, it just felt good to be defiant. It's about a 20-minute hike from the trailhead to the ocean. I usually start out judging or jogging to work up a sweat. Today was beautiful, about 75 degrees and windless. I left my t-shirt in the car and was hiking in my, boy, my board shorts and Nikes. The sun felt good on my bare back, cooking my skin. I managed to get a tan and stay in shape from my daily lunch hikes. Being springtime, the grass had grown high, and most parts of the trail had provided a lot of privacy. I don't, I don't know what kind of grass they've got out there, but no. We're just saying straight up no. <laughs> Already, just throwing shade on this? Absolutely not. Throwing more shade than the grass is making, that's for certain. So today, the trail was well hidden from the public eye, and soon I could only see the tall vegetation around me and the dusty path leading me down to the turquoise water of the Pacific Ocean. I had been hiking around ten minutes and was lost in the enjoyment of nature. I walked around a bend in the trail and stopped short. <laughs> okay, this is a great one to start off on. Hello. There was a girl. <laughs> well, he's athletic and handsome, so I wonder what, how she'll find him. She was sitting on a boulder next to the trail, eating a cliff bar. Hey! I exclaimed, immediately trying to look subtle as I checked her out. She <laughs> Fucking beautiful. <laughs> she was fucking beautiful. Must have only been 20 or so. Dark hair pulled up in a messy bun that would have fallen in the right small of her back if she let it down. She had tan, olive skin, and warm brown eyes. Full lips that betrayed a smile as she saw me checking her out. This sounds like it's going to be the airport one, except it's going to be on a hiking trail. Let's enjoy it. You're not supposed to be here either. <laughs> oh, sorry. You know you're not supposed to be down here? She said as she hopped off the rock. She moved like a cat, decisively, light on her feet. Her body language was confident, sexy, as she walked towards me. <laughs> what? She had long, slender hips that mesmerized me, and the way they swayed as she took steps. Like a cat? She was wearing yoga pants that accentuated her athletic profile and narrow waist. She had on a sports bra that covered small, firm breasts. You're not supposed to be here either, croaked. She faced me now. <laughs> she faced me now? She had long, delicate fingers, and she placed one on my lips. Okay, if he doesn't die, if she's not like some kind of ancient like cat god who has come to life to prey on humans now that we're not walking her territory. <laughs> I'm going to be real fucking disappointed. 
She had long, delicate fingers, and she placed one on my lips. I could feel my stock, my cock starting to grow under my shorts. I guess this has to be our little secret time then, she said softly. So, are you going swimming? Her tone was only playful and sounded seductive. I hadn't planned on it, but it's nice out, so maybe? I said, disappointed in the change in the conversation. Was she just fucking with me? If she had noticed my board shorts, could she see my growing heart on? Hmm. She murmured as she turned on her heel and walked towards the rock she was sitting on. I'm just going to say, author's note, pisses me off it was introduced as a boulder with a capital B, and now it's been reduced to a rock. I don't like that. I really don't like that. Like, if it's a boulder, it's a boulder. It's not a fucking rock. Also, boulder is a health food thing, so she was eating a cliff bar on top of a boulder, which was very fucking funny. All right, well. Okay, just saying. Just throwing it out there for the health nuts. <laughs> Watching her from behind was a sight to behold. Her ass was incredible. What makes it uh, Her ass was incredible, colon. That means the colon's going to tell us what makes it incredible. What is worth incredulity at this point? Ready? Her ass was incredible, colon. Big and round. <laughs> Accentuated by her tiny waist. It swayed when she walked, like her hips did. I was captivated and mesmerized from earlier. She bent down to pick up her small bag. She should have taken it up on the rock. Arching her back and sticking her perfect ass in the air as she collected her things. The fabric of her yoga pants looked stretched to its limit, and I swear, I could see the outline of her tight pussy. I couldn't believe what I was seeing, me neither, even in yoga pants with no underwear. Her labia would have to be protruding and really stretched with the fabric going entirely over it. Lycra is very dense. I wanted to peel back those yoga pants and bury my face between her perfect ass cheeks as she bent. Hey, she said, starting me out of my stupor. She gathered a bag and walked another ten feet down the trail without me noticing my mind fully occupied in its own fantasy. Author's note, sticking your face in an ass does not count as a fantasy. Come on, she said quietly with a mischievous smile. She beckoned me with one finger. I have followed her off a cliff. I caught up and we walked together down the trail towards the ocean. Oh my God. Oh my God. This is amazing. As a man who gets hit on by women, I strive for this encounter. Ready? I saw you staring at my ass. She said. Oh. Uh, I paused, racking my brain for something to say. Yeah, I admitted. She laughed. It's okay. I wanted you to. You're cute. Oh, yeah? 
Well, thanks. I said, starting to loose up. You're, uh, pretty. She smiled and slowed her pace, stopping to a small meadow. What the fuck? How many biomes you got? Is this a game of fucking Minecraft? <laughs> Put your hands on it. What? I asked, convinced that I had somehow misread the situation. I want you to put your hands on my ass. Right now. She said slowly, biting her lip. She turned around and stuck her beautiful butt out at me. My heart was racing, and I could feel my cock pinching a tent in my shorts. There was no hiding how bad I wanted to fuck her now. Slowly, I reached out a hand and placed it gently on her right ass cheek. It was firm and round under the spandex. He doesn't even fucking know what yoga pants are made of. Ladies, don't get you a man who fetishizes fucking yoga pants and doesn't even know the goddamn material they're made out of. My fingers close to her pussy and asshole. She moaned in encouragement. Now I knelt with an end down in the grass so I was at eye level with her butt. She laughed and bent over, giving me total access. I grabbed both cheeks now and kneaded them, spread them apart and pushed them together again, slapped them and ran my hands wherever I pleased. Soon I ran my hands up the inside of her left thigh, stopping short right under her tight little pussy. I pulled her towards me and she groaned as she backed into my face. I breathed in the scent of her perfect ass and pussy through the spandex and cotton. I could tell she was wet. As I exhaled, I moved my hand higher, finally making contact with her. She mo- <laughs> Finally making contact with her. Wow. She moaned louder and looked back at me as I massaged her clit through the yoga pants. Fuck, she whispered. I stood up then, my cock nearly ripping a hole through my trunks. I grabbed her, that was for you, Allie. I grabbed her forcefully and pulled her around to face me. I stared at her beauty in awe before I pulled her close and kissed her deeply. Now letting my hands run up to her chest, I found my way under her sports bra and pinched her nipples hard as our tongues eagerly explored each other's mouths. I want to fuck you by the water. <laughs> I want to fuck you by the water. That's amazing. 
<laughs> I'm unironically gonna pull one of you girls next to me and just say that in your fucking ear and see what happens. <laughs> what? By? Not in? You just wanna be near water looking at it? That. What does it do for you? <laughs> I want to fuck you in a in a sand trap. <laughs> I'm gonna fuck you by a water hazard. Cause they're near a golf course! I'm gonna fuck you by a water hazard! <laughs> I wanna fuck you by a water hazard! Oh my god! Woo! I was keeping it together before I want to fuck you next to water. I can't even find it. I've laughed too hard. I tried to wipe the tears from my eyes. I'm so sorry. I'm trying to find a spot. <laughs> I want to fuck you by the water. I said in a voice that surprised myself. This woman had turned me into an animal. I couldn't stop myself now if I wanted it. She just bit her lip and nodded as we took off down the trail, pulling our clothes off as we went. The abandoned beach wasn't far, and before I could think, she was on top of me, our naked bodies falling in a heap in the sun-choked sand. Her dark hair had come undone, and it fell around my face as she straddled my hips, and I explored her warm, tan breasts with my hands. Her nipples were small and hardened as I teased them with my fingers. She leaned down and kissed my neck and my chest and my abs and lingered there for a moment. She brought her hands up and my balls, cupped my balls in them and looked up at me as I rested on my elbows. Her delicate, manicured fingers played with my balls and my dick pointed up into the air. I want to swallow your cock. She said as she massaged my balls softly. I stood up, my thick cock throbbing in front of her face. She smiled wickedly and walked towards me on her knees through the sand. Author's note. In BDSM and sex talk, women are often like crawling on the ground or like moving on their knees towards a man and it's printed as sexy. It is not. If you've ever seen a music video or like a movie where it looks sexy, it's because there was a professional cinematographer and a professional uh, choreographer there who went over it over and over and over again to say, this is how you crawl towards a camera so that you don't look like a crazy demon. And I'm promising you right now, if you're a 20-year-old girl on your knees with your hair full of sand that you just let down from a hair tie after a hike, and you're coming up at me on your knees like waddling through the sand at you, I don't think you're after a blowjob. I think you're a troll and that you've come for my gold. Just on your knees, just like... I'm imagining her hair all totally just like flumped out and shit and her just racing on her knees for cock. <laughs> Slowly, she approached me and took the smooth cockhead into her mouth, her full lips wrapped around my bell. That's the full. My bell, sucking gently. 
what do you think he meant to say there? Bill, Bill, Bill Lind? <laughs> do, you, do you think he's heard the term Bill Lind? And he thinks, okay, all right, Bill Lind. Okay. Shame, shame. Very good, Ellie. She ran her nails up and down my legs as she took more of it in. Now I could feel her tongue playing with the bottom of my cock as her lips wrapped around my shaft. She moved her hands to my ass and pulled me forward as all eight inches of my length disappeared. I gasped in pleasure, never before experiencing head as good as this. I looked down and met her eyes, and not even the base of my dick was visible. She winked at me as she licked my balls, my whole cock still lodged in her throat. I almost came, and she sensed it, still pulling back. Her lips and her throat released me as I gasped for air, and thick strands of saliva hung from my cock and her mouth. I almost just came, I said. I know, she smiled. <sighs> Not so fast. I want you to eat my pussy and ass till I come. And then I fucked me as... Man, 20-year-olds have changed. 20-year-olds have changed, man. <laughs> I... <laughs> I mean, I know that I know that social media and and uh, you know porn being more, uh, so, you know, I know smartphones and stuff have really altered the game. But wow, twenty year olds have changed. <laughs> she bent over in front of me again, like before in the meadow. Only this time, she left her spandex pants on the trail. <laughs> I stared at her flawless, waxed pussy and ass as she bowed away from me, her behind sticking in the air and her breasts and the side of her face resting in the warm sand. Ooh, she's gonna need to get into that water. I reached out and ran my hands over her ass, my thumb grazing her puckered hole. Ooh, don't you want to be with a guy who grazes your puckered hole? It was the same color as the rest of her flawless olive skin without a blemish to be seen. I slowly lowered my mouth to her ass and rimmed her, the feeling the crinkled skin against my tongue and mouth. You can tell he's super into eating ass the way that he really describes that rich tapestry of experiences that he went through. She moaned softly and watched goosebumps appear on her body despite the heat. Now, I took both of my thumbs and spread her wet pussy apart, my face only inches away. She moaned as I spread her pink, wet lips apart and lowered my mouth to it. She tasted amazing, fresh. I flicked my tongue across her clit a few times, and then drove it up into her hole. Feels amazing. She moaned from the sand. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> oh no! <clears throat> I was lapping up her dripping pussy and fingering it at the same time. I rubbed some of her slippery juices on her asshole with my spare hand 
and she started trembling. I worked one finger into her tight ass, and I fucked her with my tongue, and I used my fingers on the other to rub her swollen clit in circles. She was quivering in pleasure now and begged me to put another finger in her ass. She clamped her other hand over her mouth and bit it. She was so wet now, her ass easily allowed both my middle finger and index finger to push deeper inside her. I was still wasting her pussy, but pulled my face back to take a breath and noticed she was close. I started pumping, capital P, both fingers in and out of her, and she came, her ass spasming and clenching onto my fingers as her pussy literally dripping between her legs in the sand. She was gasping for air after her violent climax. I watched her as I stroked my hard dick, and she moaned, You just made my ass come. One more time. She was gasping for air after violent climax. I watched her as I stroked my hard dick. She moaned, You just made my ass come. His response? I want you to really take this fucking scene in, kids. She's 20. She's perfect. She clearly wanted it. She was all about it. This was pretty much her fucking idea. And she says to him after he put a finger up her butt for a little bit that he just made her butt come. Here is what his response is. Ready? What about your pussy? She smiled up at me. Show me how you're going to make my fucking pussy come. That was a breathe in. That was an inhale. (laughs) I positioned myself behind her, reaching around her to stroke her breasts and nipples with one hand, while guiding my bulging cock into her pussy with the other. You're fucking huge, she laughed, then moaned abruptly in surprise. as I slowly slid my rock-hard dick all the way inside her, until my pelvis pushed against her soft ass, and her knees shook. I stuck my thumb in her butt as I fucked her from behind, using my other hand to grab her by the hip and pull her back against me as I drove deep into her wetness. My thumb in her ass could feel my cock sliding in and out of her pussy. And I could start to feel myself losing control. She evidently was close, too, and said she was going to fucking come. 
I pumped her pussy as fast as I could until I thought I'd explode inside her and pulled out and turned around her again with my free hand. Come all over my tits, she begged. Did we ever find out anything about her breasts? Did they say anything? I remember everything about the ass. <clears throat> Seeing her bite her lips and come in front of me was too much. I pulled her against me and unloaded rope after rope of... I gotta stop saying ropes of thick cum. Allie, I'm not sure you can use that title if he's using it. Rope after rope of thick cum all over the neck and tits. No, I'm absolutely you should use it. I've learned that I'm using a frat boy, frat boy term. And I'll tell you why I said blasting rope earlier. I'll even tell you. Because <laughs> it's horrible. Satisfied. Hold on! Hold on! This actually actually pisses me off. As a writer, this actually pisses me off. Because you guys will write in, like, I'll say something like, close your eyes, and then I'll describe something visually or something, and I'll always get like, you said close your eyes, but then you didn't say open them, but then you described something visually that I saw in one of your pieces. And you know what? That's on me. That's a mistake. I just don't like hearing it, which is why I'm using that voice to describe you. But that's fair. That's a mistake. But that's, like, such a minor mistake in a radio play, in my opinion. It's such a minor thing. Listen to this fucking line. Listen to this fucking line that this guy did about his middle-day work break in fucking Cali. Ready? Here it is, after fucking coming on her tits. God, this pisses me off. Ready? Satisfied, I took a deep breath and exhaled as I stared at the night sky. I felt my still hard cock slide back into her mouth and looked down to see her sucking the last drops out of me. When she was done, she stood up, my cum trenching her tits and dripping off her nipples. That is not how my cum works. She grabbed my hand and led me to the water's edge. Let's clean up, she said. Okay. I smiled. By the way, what's your name? She paused and thought, How about we do this tomorrow when we go to events? Before I could answer, she laughed and dove into the sea, where she began to transform. No, I added the last line. I had the last line. I'm sorry. I had the last line. I had the last line. I'm sorry. She does dive into the sea. I had the last line. I'm sorry. I didn't think the reaction was going to be... I was just a joke. It was just a gag. No, people were actually buying it. People were actually... I'm so sorry. There's... Sometimes you make a joke and people buy it. That was just a joke. <laughs> After she didn't say her name, I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with you? So I made her a mermaid. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we explain a lot about her, except like why she didn't like she, why she's going hiking and shit. Uh, all right, one more, one more, and I'll close out the show. One more, and then we close out the show. Oh, no. Do you guys want a funny one or you want a serious one? Funny, funny, funny. Really? Okay. Wow, that is a that is a strong vote. All right, funny it is. Let me get some water.
All right, everyone's got the giggles. We'll do one more funny one. Thank you to everybody who finds and suggests funny ones. I mean, really, truly, thank you to everybody who throws something in no matter what. But uh, these funny ones, uh, you know, it's hit or miss. You got to be brave. Uh, I think it takes a special level of brave girl to submit a funny porn, funny smut. All I got to say is thank you to each and everyone who takes a swing at it. Really, truly. Truly, truly, truly. The girls appreciate it. The ladies of the night appreciate it. I appreciate it. Here we go. <clears throat> a bead of sweat tickled a dusty smudge across my breastbone. I smiled down at it self-indulgently. I didn't care. It was about to have the most longed-for bath on the planet. Oof. Oof, where we're going already. Four weeks of all the dust and grime that Nepal and India could possibly imprint upon my body was about to be gone into blissful, lukewarm water. I couldn't wait. I turned to eye the bathtub. It was big, yes, but with one of the most pathetic-looking showerheads drooping over it, forlornly. Even that was a major symbol of luxury after the fortnight I'd just spent roughing it in the mountains. How I longed to get back to the junction town of Nagpur, which represented the height of civilization when confronted by yet another week of self-enforced suffering with insipid and or sadistic guides, red dust, heat, insects, rumors of civil unrest, and more importantly, no bath. <clears throat> I shivered slightly at the lukewarm water embraced my hot, dry skin and then slid deep into its depths of the tub. Ah, such luxury. It was going to be hard to climb out of this precious haven of moisture into the stifling air once again. I lay watching the motes of dust flowing on the heavy sunshine that fell from the high window. The dry season was at its driest. The monsoon was on its way in a matter of weeks. But at that moment... I was immersed in complete bliss. Oh, how I was enjoying that bath. It was like having the most delicious meal after two months of bread and water diet. It was like having sex after, after none in ages. Yes, I mused, sex. Sex after God. How long had it been? Too long. My fingers were already rippling the water in and around my pubes. I latched one leg over the edge of the bath and the other. At home, I have a big mirror leaning down from the ceiling at the edge of the bath so I can have a long, lingorious session of self-indulgence. I watch myself seeking out every morsel of pleasure whilst imagining some poor slave lover kneeling in front of me, hands bound behind him, unable to even touch the cunt that he was quite obviously desperate for. However, I wasn't at home. So I let my eyes close and my, eye begin to, my mind began to wander along with my fingers. The train from Bombay had traversed a long, flat plain where the earth met the sky in a dramatic sweep that filled my vision. The rocking motion had set me on edge. I pressed my thighs together, my sex flesh crushed and constantly moving with the rhythm of the train. My body ached for release then, just as it ached now. Somewhere amidst the chatter and voices followed down the train, a woman's voice had flown up, and the song and sound of vibrant cymbals danced towards me, softly entwined with the scent so distinct to the east. Sandalwood, tamarind, coriander, the exotic, something in me was ready to be dangerous in unknown territory. 
There's a place where my hand falls molded over my own pubic bone. On the train, I put my backpack on my lap, hiding the movement of my hand as it went under my long shirt into my combat trousers. With my flesh of my sex lips spread wide and my clit pushing up between two fingers, with the tips of my fingers curled into sensitive ring of my cunt, this is the gateway to the sex goddess, to her pleasure trove. Every stroke and rub of my hand lets free thief who is hunting for pleasure, who slinks through the gateway and then pulls back with his reward, and his thieves come thicker and faster, so my cunt awakens and the goddess rises up, chases after the thieves, and devours them for her own ultimate pleasure. On the train she has to be serendipitous, uh, absorbing the pleasures without drawing too much attention to herself. Today she was up in a flash and devoured them quickly and rather noisily. The tap dripped. I sighed. My flesh trembled slightly. After a few minutes, I climbed out of the bath, and it has always been my favorite place for masturbating, and I was amused and yet annoyed with myself. I was supposed to be living hard and alone, traversing India from north to south, proving the strength of my inner character and that I could do without all sorts of luxuries, including baths and sex. The mutter echoed round the gaunt room. I picked up the ropey towel that I had been issued when my entry in the hospital, the exchange for my passport. Checking in had been far too reminiscent of the opening scene of a prison documentary, but I had been willing to sell my passport and soul by them. For the chance of a proper bed and bath, the bed was thin and hard, the towel was threadbare and rough. I muttered, stomping away from my bath. Sometimes a wank was far enough away to quell the need for attention. In fact, sometimes it had quite the opposite effect. My cunt was now nagging most incessantly for something hard inside it. I tied the towel <clears throat> around my chest and stalked determinedly to the bathroom door, wishing for a keen and able man to appear as if by magic, and tugged the door open. At that, I heard a great cranking sound that suggested the door was about to fall off its hinges. No sign of a man, though. I smiled wryly to myself and glanced down to the corridor, poised to cover the twenty-odd feet to my room as quickly as possible. I set off, but was brought to a standstill after the two paces by another loud cracking sound. I realized it hadn't been the door at all. The sound had come from the stairwell or beyond. A sudden tirade of raised voices and running footsteps confirmed that all was not well in the traveler's hostel. Panic set in, in a heartbeat. I was wondering if this one was mislabeled up until now. I really was. And now I'm a little bit worried. Let's find out what happens. The skin on the back of my neck prickled with alarm. The footsteps were running in my direction. I glanced around looking for cover. My options were limited. My room was just at the top of the stairwell, and there was no way I could get out to before whatever was pounding on the stairs right now appeared around that corner. There was a pair of Louvre doors to my left, 
one was slightly ajar. I had an image of suddenly opening it to find a blank wall. Another loud noise and a woman's voice yelling. A string of what sounded like Hindi curses suddenly made their way to the Louvre door, and it looked like the best option. I grabbed the door, twisted my body inside what appeared to be a gloomy store cupboard, and pulled it closed behind me, barely nearly smashing my fingers in the process. Slats of light from the corridor helped me light get accustomed to the gloom. A stack of laundry stood slightly to the left. I leaned into it, huddled for safety. My heart was thudding mightily. I stood, I shut my eyes, praying to God that I didn't even believe in. When I heard the door creaking open, I peeked and pulled it shut with my fingernails hooked over a slat. I snatched my fingers away as the shadow passed outside the doorway. The figure moved past. I breathed again, giving a sigh of relief. It was then that I suddenly grabbed from behind. It happened so quickly I was barely able to grasp a breath before a hand fell over my mouth, another arm grabbing my body and hauling me back against a large body, a large male body. I kicked back and jagged my elbows, but the man had a mighty grip in his arms holding me back against his ribcage, almost completely winding me. I was locked in against him. My arms were limp, and all of my self-defense training flashed before my eyes, but it was hardly in a position to kick him in the balls, was I? If he loosened his grip on me, maybe I could twist enough to free, get free and wind him back. But what then? What was an outside door worse? Or were they in this together with my assailant? In what together? I was very confused and hot and barely able to keep breath. My mouth opened against his hand. I tasted his salt on my tongue, together with a hint of mint and the warmth of cumin. Stay quiet, he hissed against my ear. Your life might depend on it. What was that supposed to be, a threat or a warning? I wondered. I rested back against him, though. It seemed the simplest and safest option, if you could call it an option. He gradually loosened his grip on my mouth, and I could at least breathe a bit easier. He held onto my body tight, still molding against me. I noticed how I fitted almost perfectly in against him. He was about two inches taller than I was. I shifted my arms to get more comfortable, and so he moved, blowing some of my hair. It flew out of my face. His breath was warm and caressing against the side of my neck. He gave a quiet groan, and it was then that I felt it, his cock stirring against my butt. My blood hit boiling point in a flash, a mixture of fear, outright, something that I couldn't quite admit to myself at that point. It raced through me, sheer, rampant lust. I reached out of instinct, bit against his hand, and twisted away to face him, my elbow winding him, loosening him, and refracting his teeth as I sank into his palm. Wait, he whispered. His body doubled over, one hand up as if to signify peace. He regained his footing and stood in front of me, his towel shimming from around his waist to his feet. He had both his hands held up now. It was then that I realized to my surprise that he must be a guest in the hostel like myself and that he'd obviously taken shelter in the storeroom just as I had. He was well-built, bleach-bond hunk with startling green eyes and a devilish goatee beard, a prime piece of best beef by the looks of him and with the most impressive erection that I'd seen since I left my cushy London gym for the wilds of Nepal. Holy fucking shit. I realized I was staring and looking back up at his face. He suddenly broke into a smile, lifted his shoulders, 
in a slight shrug and eyed me back up and down. It was then that I realized my own towel had dropped to the floor. Oh, shit. I muttered and began to bend to the rescue of the towel. As I did, the man suddenly grabbed my arm and pushed me back into the furthest recess of the cupboard with the bulk of his body careering us both into a teetering stack uh, of sheets and towels. He put us both against fingers in his mouth, both gently this time, and nodded towards the corridor. I couldn't hear anything, but then, yes, someone was moving along the corridor very quietly, whispering along the walls. What were they searching for, or whom? I clung to the shoulders of my fellow traveler, suddenly felt like he was my life raft, my savior. How quickly the tables can turn, I taunted myself wryly. His jaw was about level with my forehead, and I was pressed wholly against him, leaning back slightly to look up at him. My position pivoted from my hips towards the forward as a result of being pressed onto the mouth of towels stacked on the ledge behind me, a whispered conversation filtered down through the corridor to us. It was calmer than before. A discussion he held my eyes with his, looking at me intimately, reassuringly, as we strained to hear. It wasn't the only thing straining. My nipples rubbed against hard in his chest, and his cock now embedded itself upright against my abdomen. God, that felt so, so good. Sorry, he mouthed glancing down to where our hips melded together, as if suddenly embarrassed by the waywardness of his manhood. But I was starting to enjoy that particular aspect of the situation far too much. My sex had already begun to cloy. I could smell the scent of my own desire mounting along his. The space we were enclosed in was a riot of pheromones. My hand slid down to my back in a trace of firm outline on his buttocks. He arched one eyebrow on me, amusement tinging his expression. Then he suddenly glanced away as his conversation started at the corridor again, this time louder. I think it's okay. We're safe. He had leaned down and whispered against my ear, I don't know what startled me most that he obviously understood Hindi or his Australian accent. <laughs> I still trying to make sense of our conundrum, which was hard, while was managing the residual fear and extreme case of arousal in his physical presence. When we broke into another very endearing grin, someone was just throwing coconuts against the outside wall as a joke. He starts chuckling to himself, trying unsuccessfully to hold it inside. What? I replied incredulous. His whole body was starting to shudder with amusement. We were merely bystanders to a prank. I suddenly realized how ridiculous the situation was. There I was relieved. I was relieved to be trapped and covered in the arms of a naked, very aroused man that I had never met in my life simply because of a few unexpected noises. Fine. We were all completely safe then. His eyes... I'm sorry. Two different tourists who voluntarily went to India heard coconuts being thrown up against the front wall and assumed that it was a terrorist attack to the point that they ran naked into a cupboard. There's got to be some there's got to be some racism involved. There's got to be some racism involved in that decision-making process.
<laughs> All right. Well, that... That's something. That's... That's... That's really an explanation to get two naked people together. <laughs> I'm going to skip ahead just a little bit. Well, at least one of us was armed. I relied, pushing him to his arm's length, looking down at the fine piece of weaponry that rested against my thigh. It wasn't quite the sort of thought I expected to see enjoying in India, but I sure was enjoying it. He chuckled. Then I heard his intake of breath and saw that he was looking down at my telltale nipples, bouncing free when our bodies moved apart for the first time in some several minutes. He glanced up at me, and my hand closed over one breast. He watched me for my reaction. I pushed up against his hand, showed him my willingness and consent, and began to stir his palm over my nipple. I couldn't help it. I was holding a red-hot piece of ass in my I smiled at his directness. It wasn't something I was used to, but I quickly decided I could get used to it. He bent to kiss my shoulder, his mouth breathing the promise of intimacy over my skin, across my shoulders and neck, until I turned my mouth into his. His kiss was strong and suggested a deep sensuality, his tongue teasing along my inner side of my lower lip in a way that sent shivers down my back. When I moved in his arms, he moved his back to my nipples, sucking and teasing it erect again. I could hear the audible purr in my own breathing. Voices flared up in the corridor, and he chuckled, his mouth moving from my nipple. What now? I asked, rather annoyed. He looked up at me and was truly gorgeous. Especially when he was smiling. Someone's grumpy about all the noise. I laughed. How dare he interrupt? And grabbed his hand, leading it to the heat between my thighs. Indeed, said the Australian, slipping one finger inside me to test my wetness. I groaned, and then he pushed me up against the shelves again. I balanced my hips on the narrow ledge behind me and clutched at him, one leg climbing against him, inviting him close against me again. He looked down at my open leg and touched his hand on my open moistness, stroking my sex, then took his fingers to his mouth, slowly licking the juice off them. I was so surprised at his complete blatantness, and then he shocked me even more. Oh, woman, I'm going to eat you out. Now, he said, groaning and pushing my legs wider apart. Yes, please. I mumbled in a mix of raging lust and confused embarrassment. Was I dreaming this out of sheer horniness? But no. He knelt down right there in front of me and ha nestled his face against my hot cunt. Oh, God. His words and actions flushed me more and more heat and moisture inside me. <laughs> I could hear the part of my own breathing. He stroked the folds of my sex with his tongue and longed for movements, and then he let his teeth close over the mound of my sex, pulling over my flesh. He slid up and down with the paws of my clit, sucking hard into his mouth, and attacked with the quick flicking movement of his tongue. In a flash, it was gone and arched over his shoulders, my body lifting way up from the intense pleasure laced with a hint of sweet pain. 
He pushed his fingers deep inside me, opening me to his tongue, and licked at my inside my cunt. His whole face was moving inside me, his free hand moving over my thigh in quick strokes. He was pumping real fast, bringing me to pitch. My throat ached, my entire body burned, my orgasm blistering just beneath the surface. He curled two long, strong fingers in against the front wall of my cunt. His knuckles nudged at a spot that wired the rest of my body into its intensity. I gripped my shoulders as the first bolt of pleasure hit me. I heard myself let out a muted scream. He flexed his fingers out again, brushing over the surface of my palpitating cervix. Palpitating. <sighs> he flexed his fingers out again, brushing over the surface of my palpitating cervix. That was it. Both my legs were now over his shoulders, and I was grinding onto his face, grinding every second of exquisite release. I bit my lip to silencing him, and he pulled me free and rose up. Oh my, you are noisy. Noisy and hot. My favorite kind. He gave me a wink and positively sinful smile and then glanced at the doors, but all seemed quiet outside. He grabbed my hair around the back of my head with one hand, drew my mouth to his and lunged into it with my tongue. With my other hand, he offered me his erection and I closed my hand over the hot, rock-hard surface. The taste of my own pleasure on his skin stirred me even more. I couldn't believe this was happening. I was fucking around with a complete stranger in a cupboard. I felt totally wild. As he moved near, slowly thrusting his cock into my hand, I pulled away and leaned back against the wall to look down into his cock. I was captured by its shape, its vitality, reaching out through the space between us. It looked so powerful. It felt so weak and hot. My body stood running rivers of heat over my orgasm. I want to see it. I breathed as I looked down at the column of energy resting in his hand. He groaned and put his hand up against the wall to steady myself and let my feet move wilder, spreading my hips open, leaning back. My hand went back to my wet cunt, my fingers sliding inside, bringing me back to bliss with strong strokes. Make yourself come. I want to watch you do it. I managed to pant the words out. I felt wild. I had never ordered a man to wank in front of me before, but I suddenly realized I had always wanted to do just that very thing. He watched my fingers pushing in and out around the moist folds of my sex, my clit jutting between the length of the two of my fingers just the way I like it. His eyes were burning me up and watching me stroke myself, and I totally loved it. His hands closed over his erection again and began to move on it. I moved my free hand over his, sliding up and down, his shaft with regular movements, my other hand echoing the rhythm of my sex. You're so hard. I whispered, he leaned into me, his mouth against my head, his cock glistening wet and fierce. He was a fit to burst, and I could see his teeth on my I could feel his teeth on my hair. He wanted to be inside me. Every atom of my body told me that. I wanted him inside me too, but all in good time. I let go of his shaft and pushed him gently back. I want to see. Let me see it. 
He moaned quietly. As his hand moved faster, he reached down and locked my hand over my splayed sex. I could feel the reluctant control in his touch. God, woman, you know how to drive a man insane, he muttered, and I gave a gentle chuckle at the strangeness of his Australian accent, and then let my eyes in take the look and fierce pulsing head of his cock. It was so swollen, the sheen of it glistened in the gloomy heat of the cupboard. His fist rode hard and fast, his body arched before it to fulfill my request. I glanced up. He was looking me at the face. His eyes were like hot coals, burning with lust as I watched inside him. His eyebrows were drawn close together, concentration holding them. I could see how much he wanted me in his eyes. That was quite, quite delicious. My mouth opened. I felt my fingers still moving inside my sex. My eyes were locked on his, but the pressure was building on my clit again. I thought you See it, he said quietly. His voice had dropped to a low pant. His mouth had opened up and his altar still. Oh my god. And then it slowed to a complete stop. I slooked down and saw the upward surge of flesh in my hand as he pumped it and it spurred out jets of semen flew across my inner thighs and up across my stomach. Thank Christ, he'd been jerking off forever. Jesus. <sighs> I gave a small cry at the sight of it and then fell against the wall, closing over my body. His cock still moved slightly, and it rested against my thighs. My fingers knotted and twisted on my clit, pushing me against the folds of my sex. That did it! I spasmed again, and I was totally drenched. <laughs> oh my god, this guy's gonna get even more sexy. Ready? I'm Oliver, he panted against my ear. How you dee? <laughs> just imagine a guy just fucking just churning his cock as hard as he can in front of your face, blasting it. Oh, I'm Oliver. How do you do? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I began to chuckle and let my legs close. <laughs> That's almost as pathetic as that one gym shower story where she didn't even let the guy come on her even though they were under a shower. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. I'm Natalie. I'm very well. <laughs> Thank you. She's so polite from London. She's very polite. She may have been raised in a big town, but she's very polite. Very polite. Small town girl at heart. Raised in London. Small town girl. Here's what Oliver has to say after she says she's very good. Ready? Marvelous! Well, even better when I have you on your back. On my bed. I smiled and purred my consent to him, and he lifted me gently from my perch, wrapping my ropey-ass towel around me in the most gentlemanly manner. I loved his directness, I loved it right from the moment I had felt it pressed up against my behind. He asked me if I was ready to make a quick dash to his room. Too right I was. We spent a week in that hostel, venturing little further than the market for food and supplies. 
it's not quite what I had expected from my first time sightseeing in the east, but I certainly wasn't going to complain. It was hot, very hot. The weather and the sex. Particularly the sex. The next time I go traveling, I plan to get sightseeing down under in Australia, which I am led to believe it can sometimes get even hotter. That was a roller coaster. Holy shit. That was a show. That took us places, huh? It was emotional. It was funny. It was all over the place. Thank you to each and every person who came out. I hope to see you next Friday, 10 Eastern. Your requests are absolutely necessary. I'm sorry I didn't get through all the smut, but we did even extend the show a little bit uh, and all that. With everything going on in the world, I know you can be worried about me, and I know you can be worried about Americans that you know, and I know you can be worried about America and the state of the world. Uh, I can't really assuage all those doubts. All I can say is take care of yourself. And when it comes to me, if I'm ever in a lot of trouble, if I ever need money, or if I'm ever freaking out, or if I'm ever in any kind of real danger, I will let you know. Mental physical, the rest of it. I, I'm trying to take care of myself. I want you to try and take care of yourselves. I promise I will send up a bat signal. I'm not just putting on a brave face. I do have good days and bad days. I've had totally bad depressive episodes where I didn't want to get out of bed, where I didn't have a good thought in my head all day. But I don't think that that's unreasonable given what we're at. So I haven't found it scary, especially since they pass. And I hope you can hear it in my voice, my efforts, everything we're doing. I'm really, really, really just trying to get through 2020, trying to make myself a little bit better in the process, all the rest. So please don't be worried about me. Take care of yourself. Look inward. Try and find answers for yourself about what it means to live through what weird times. Because nobody has an answer. Nobody has a better one than you, I promise. So thank you very, very much for listening. I'm sorry that things are going so weird. Thank you for giving me some time off in the middle of it to adjust and just in general relax boost up. Hope you enjoy the sound of my voice, even though it's like a little bit more nasally this week than normal, but it'll sound deeper next week. Don't worry. It is very, very nice to be back. I am Jack. I am the Grey Knight. On behalf of me and Ellie and all the rest, thank you very, very much for coming out. Hope to see you next week. Hope you're going to enjoy season four and all the rest. It's going to be a long, hot summer in the Northern Hemisphere. I want you to survive it. Come on along with me, won't you? See you next week.